to the show, This Is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and for this episode, uh, we are going to go from my home base here in Central Oregon, cross the entire continental United States, and then jump across the Atlantic Ocean, all with the power of the internet and uh, Skype, which is what I think we eventually were able to utilize for this, uh, to talk to Colin Campbell. Colin is a, a former police officer in, in Yorkshire and uh, now full-time writer. He writes the Jim Grant series, and uh, that is being reissued by Down and Out Books, the first of which is Jamaica Plain. So we're going to talk to him about that interesting guy and uh, a new accent for, for the show, so we can enjoy that as well. Uh, but first, I need to tell you that uh, Wrong Place Right Crime is sponsored by Down and Out Books. Yo, Frank, Eric Campbell, Down and Out Books. For this month, we've got nine killer books come being published. Here's two that your readers might truly enjoy. This month, we're finally publishing the Clown Noir Anthology that's been in the works for well over two years. We're delivering stories from multiple award-winning authors. Gritty, crime, horror, both natural and supernatural. Tales of woe and humor. This collection encompasses a wide range of voices and subject matter. The collection includes contributors such as Patty Abbott, Jen Conley, Grant Jerkins, David James Keaton, Warren Moore, Richard Thomas, and Lano Vavaoli, to name but a few. Grease Paint and 45s is edited by Ryan Sales. Our imprint, All Due Respect, is publishing another outstanding book by Matt Phillips called Countdown. The concept is simple. Welcome to California. Weed is legal. Grow it. Sell it. But the money you make off of it, well, there's the rub. This is a wild, wild west, and everybody's high. These books are available for pre-order now, and that your readers can certainly find out more at Down and Out Books. And Frank, as always, thanks so much for your support and asking me to come on the show. And now let's meet Yorkshireman Colin Campbell. Uh, well, hey, Colin, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for the invite. I, I do want to talk definitely about your 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 new book that's being reissued by Down Out Books. In fact, the whole series. Uh, but uh, let's talk about you a little bit first. Uh, you would be considered English, right? Yes. Uh, although we we sort of I'm from Yorkshire, so we consider ourselves Yorkshiremen first, English second. It's probably about the same as Texans think of themselves as Texans <laughs> first and Americans second. Uh, <laughs> You and I actually, uh, both of us had short stints in the in, in our respective countries' military, and then went on to have a career in law enforcement. Um, maybe you could share just a, a little bit about about those two parts of your life. Well, I joined the army when I was seventeen, so uh, I, I'd had one or two odd me jobs. You know, left school, became an electrical engineer, fucked everything up that I made. So somebody suggested joining the army where at least if you fuck things up, it becomes an international incident instead. Uh, but basically I was, I was a typist. I, I did three years in the British army, which was great. I mean, it really helps you to mature and grow up. And then when I came out of the army, definitely it was a big plus having a military career when you wanted to join the police force. So I think it's just the instilled discipline Mm-hmm. Is the whole thing there? You know, you you know how to take orders, but you then know how to create orders of your own. So uh, mm-hmm. it was it was definitely a bonus. Now you had a thirty year career in uh, Yorkshire 
Or is it Yorkshire? Uh, probably over there you'd call it Yorkshire. Over here it's Yorkshire, but we say a lot of things in a very strange way over here. So like, <laughs> you wouldn't have a clue what the hell I was talking about. So I'm, I'm trying to sound more BBC. <laughs> well, uh, the Yorkshire M- Metropolitan uh, Police Force there, 30 years, right? Most careers of that length, 20, 30 years, have a lot of different stages in the police world. So what were, what were some of the ones that, that you had? What were the different stages of your career? Well, like everybody that joins the police force over here, you start out in uniform patrol. So I was I was a, a beat bobby. I used to, first of all, have foot patrol in uniform, uh, then mobile patrol once they, once they taught me how to drive. Uh, after a few years in there, I became a jailer, so I worked in the in the cell area for a couple of years. But I, I, that was quite fun, you know. What I mean, basically, whatever shit happens, you just got to f- go with the flow and take it with a smile, and then uh, find something to enjoy. So even the worst things that I've ever had to deal with, there were silver linings. But but from working in the cells, then where I, I became a police photographer, working in scenes of crime, which in the US is CSI. So I was like a forensic examiner, uh, took photographs, did that for about 15 years. So did you just take photographs or did you do other aspects of the crime scene uh, no, processing? Whatever the crime scene was. So for instance, the majority of things that we dealt with would have been uh, domestic burglaries. So you would go along, you would take whatever forensic evidence there was, uh, you would gather f- fingerprints, fibers, any blood samples. Uh, somebody once asked me to take a blood sample from a stool. I don't mean a buffet that you sit on, you know, like a, like a turd. <laughs> uh, because somebody, we, have, we had some burglars who used to take a shit on the carpet after they'd broken mm-hmm. into the house. It's not as uh, uncommon as people think. No, and it's pretty disgusting. But at the time, DNA was still in its infancy. Uh, and I wasn't about to swab this sort of soggy turd on the carpet. So I think nowadays you probably could get DNA from somebody shitting on your carpet, but this this was a bit before then. And, and then if there was anything that needed photographing, for instance, uh, vehicle accidents, suicides, uh, assaults, rapes, uh, and then murders. So all, all those kind of things were part and parcel of, of what you had to deal with. As with yourself you find that every day is different. So it just depended on what, what incidents you were called to. I did that for about Sorry. 15 and then they sort of, so they civilianized it because it was cheaper mm-hmm. uh, because uh, employing a uh, civilian personnel were, uh, as opposed to somebody with 20 years service, mm-hmm. it, it was a lower pay grade. So it, it meant that they didn't have to pay so much. So I actually got booted out of, of forensics, the job that I really loved and put back into uniform patrol, which is exactly where I started like 22 years before, <laughs> which was a big shock to the system. And they, they changed all the laws, which I hadn't kept up to date with because I didn't need it in forensics. Mainly, it, it was how you how you dealt with prisoners once you arrested them. You know, we used to record interviews now, whereas before it, it was it was just writing down in a notebook. You know, we, mm-hmm. we still had whistles and capes back then. Uh, capes cape no like you know no i know what a cape is i mean over here superheroes wear capes yeah Yeah, well we we, we, it was great for keeping your fish and chips warm that was the (laughs) you just kick them underneath the cape there while you get back to the police then 
Uh, that's so that, that was all good. Then, then I was back in uniform for like the last eight years um, of my service and playing clothes for the last two or three where, when I was uh, sort of a halfway detective. It was like between uniform and detective. Uh, mm. And it was great. I mean, it, it turned out to be the best eight years of my service because you got back to that camaraderie yeah. that, that you have when you were the group of men, you know, in the back of a van having ribald discussions. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, other cops that I talk to uh, feel the same way. I feel this way. Uh, it's not the job that you miss. It's the it's, it's the camaraderie. It's the yeah, people. Absolutely. Um, for sure. We used to call it van culture because if, if you got six policemen in the back of a police van, it was completely unprintable what used to be discussed because it, it was that it was like blowing off steam with with mm -hmm. a humorous way of, of dealing with mm -hmm. the gallows culture, whatever you want to call it, gallows humor. Yeah. yeah. Sitting in the back of a van, it was the best place. You know, the canteen in the van, you get six coppers together, and it's just fantastic. It was a real good bonding experience. And you don't get that with anything else. I think you found it in the military, in the emergency services. You know, you don't find it in a tennis club or doing any other things is really cool. So your career in law enforcement, uh, obviously you're going to draw on that as a writer, but you drew on it pretty closely for some of your earlier books. I've, from what I read on your website, anyway, they seem to be pretty strong basis for, for several of your early novels. Yeah. The, the first books I, I wrote because I, the initial books were all set in the UK. So it was, Pretty much a uniform police officer type things. I was I was inspired really by Joseph Wambauer mm -hmm. and, the, and the Choir Boys, mm -hmm. which was you know frontline policemen dealing with ordinary crimes as opposed to serial killers and you know uh, suicide bombers or anything that we deal with now. Super cops. Yeah, yeah, they're all super coppling. And and so the, the first book, Through the Ruins of Midnight, was pretty much me getting kicked out of scenes of crime and one particular night shift where just the shit hit the fan. And although I did amalgamate a lot of various events into one night that didn't happen on the same night, nearly everything in that book was an actual incident I dealt with or that I knew of, you know, that I witnessed. So you just change the names to protect the guilty and and go with the flow. So the first few books were very much based on things I knew. Uh, now, let's see, a Blue Night White Cross was uh, was actually an incident that a, a fellow cop, a friend of mine that I used to work with, when I'd come back into uniform, uh, he'd got his head bashed in with a paving stone when he was wa walking the night beat. And I had to go sit with him in the hospital while... Uh, well, he was up to all these tubes because he was still unconscious. He was in a coma uh, in case he said anything while he woke up. And, and that sort of gave me the idea for a storyline, which I later used pretty much as that incident was. That was the basis of, of the book. And I did go off into flights of fancy, obviously. But, yeah, the, the UK stuff was very much informed by my service. Uh, and till I, I decided, until we went into writing the books in the US, which of course I have no knowledge of. <laughs> I will ask you the question I get asked a lot, uh, uh, a, that a former cop writing police procedurals. Um, how did the 
people that you used to work with respond to you writing about uh, stuff that really happened? Oh, they took the piss out of me unmercifully. Uh, <laughs> mainly, the the first books I wrote were horror novels. So when I when I was still in the service, uh, the first few books I wrote because I loved Stephen King mm-hmm. were, were horror books. My first book that got published was a horror novel. It wasn't until till I realised that really I've got all this expertise. Maybe I should write crime novels, and I'd heard that crime novels were. Uh, more popular than horror in in the number of readers. So yes, basically, initially they took the piss out of me completely. You know, like what the fuck do you think you're doing? But in the end, I, I used to every Christmas I'd write like a short story as a, a Christmas card and give it to the guys on the shift. And the first one was completely a fictional thing, but then I started using some of the people on the shift and adding those into these short stories. And and then every Christmas I started to get requests saying, oh, you're going to put me in this next one? Are you going to put me in this next one? <laughs> so they, they actually started to like the idea that they might turn up in one of the books, uh, which several people did, in, even in the first book. So Cops are the same everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we, just, we just all love Hollywood. We all want to be uh, in, on the TV or in a book somewhere. <laughs> You did depart from uh, writing those procedurals uh, and, and, and and mysteries in the UK with your uh, uh, Jim Jim Grant series. Uh, yeah. Those are those are thrillers, right? Yes, yeah. I, I'm never too sure how to how to categorize things, but they've been they've been called thrillers, and I, I suppose they are. The the idea of a thriller is it's more exciting than the mundane police procedural, which can also be fairly exciting but procedures as you know you know they're just dull as dishwater so yeah I, I sort of went more towards the if not necessarily action but certainly more suspense and thrills and uh these are being published by down out books starting uh this month right march i came out 25th of february so yeah just oh, okay. just into it. it's only been out about a week these jim grant thrillers you've got uh like six of them already that have already been published and they're going to be reissued over the course of the rest of 2019. If I'm not, am I right on that? Yeah, that's right. The, the first four were taken by midnight Inc. Uh, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, no longer in existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't pick up number five. So I, I found a, a publisher in Denver. I think it is uh, wild blue press who, who brought out beacon Hill. Uh, we'd, we'd never really got the traction. We didn't get the, the sales uh, so I ended up uh, releasing book six purely to keep it going uh, by using Lulu uh, just to keep mm-hmm. the book out uh, and then when I met Eric in, in Bouchcon, Eric Campbell the publisher at Down and Out uh, we had a discussion and, and he was quite interested in taking on the whole series um, book seven is already finished and is, is due to come out probably early next year but yeah he's, he's playing catch up and because there are so many, normally he would release one or two books a year, but it's there's just so much backlist right. that uh, if if he was to do one a year, while I keep writing new books, I'd, I'd be 95 before we get anywhere near. So. <laughs> You've got six in the backlist and a seventh coming out. Um, the first one just came out February 25th. That's called Jamaica Plain, right? That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So maybe tell, tell us what that's about. Tell us who Jim Grant is and what is Jamaica playing. Jim Grant is is a West Yorkshire policeman 
who initially sent to Boston in Massachusetts to interview a low-life prisoner who's who's been arrested for something in America, but uh, he needs to go across and interview him just to eliminate him from an inquiry in the UK. Mainly he's been sent there because he's, he's in the shit in the UK and they needed to just get him out of the way while, while internal affairs dealt with that. So they sent him off on a pretty much a, a ridiculous assignment just to interview this fellow and release him. But while he's while he's interviewing him, uh, there's an explosion at the police station and and it becomes a bigger story than they initially thought. So so Jim Grant sort of is 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 like the he's like Coogan's Bluff, you know, he's like the the stranger in a in a different land who doesn't really play by those rules because he doesn't know what those rules are. Mm-hmm. And it also makes him fairly valuable because they can, it can be denied. If, if deniability is like a big thing for people in authority, they, they can let you do the job, but if things get really tough, they can just disown you. Mm-hmm. So it, it pretty much goes across there and, and he's sort of, without giving anything away about Jamaica Plain, obviously there are several books after that. So mm-hmm. he survives and he, he is employed then by Boston to, to work in the U.S., so the remainder of the books take place uh, in the United States. Yes, uh, apart from one which is, is like a flashback novel to the incident that initially sent him there, that would be book four. Oh. So I, I did three books initially. My, the, the whole idea of writing an American character came from my agent at the time, Donna Bagdasarian, and. She liked the books I'd written, but she wanted a bigger readership in the US. said, why don't you write something in America? And I, I just couldn't imagine writing an American character. I, I didn't think I could pull that off. It would seem fake. So we came up with the English cop who goes to America and stays there. And, and then all the various differences that we see, I can feather them throughout the books. Uh, so then having, having sort of come up with that as an idea, uh, we decided on Boston because she's from Boston, so she could help me out with the locale. And that, like New York, which would have been the first choice, has been done to death. So it mm-hmm. seemed like Boston was a good fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then having having been employed by Boston Police, he, he's, he's sort of employed on a shady basis, which means they can sort of send him off for other assignments. Uh, the second book is in oh, second book is in Los Angeles. And the third book is in Texas, uh, purely because various things uh, send him off on different assignments. Some of it is personal, uh, and some of it is things he's sent to. And I decided to backtrack to the original book, which was the first one I was going to write, which was Snake Pass, uh, which is set in the UK and is the incident that pretty much sends him off to America in the first place. But I I thought it was a good idea to establish him first, uh, in America, and then we could throw that in as a, a little sideline. Once people are uh, excited about who he is, they can find out about what happened in the past. Yeah, yeah, it, it worked out that way in the end, and uh, I quite enjoyed it because when I did write the the, back, the flashback novel, I could feather in little things that that you know about through the books mm-hmm. as to how he became this way and how how he gets the orange jacket, for instance, which is a, his trademark in Jamaica Plain. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's quite nice to do that. If I'd have written it first, then everything else would have followed on in chronological order. I quite like to mess the timeline up a little bit. 
We'll go back to our discussion with Colin Campbell in just a moment, but this is the point in the show where I like to turn to the experts, and by experts I mean other authors, editors, bookstore owners, power readers, uh, you name it, people who know what they're talking about when it comes to book recommendations. For this episode, we're going to hear from prior guest and author Terrence McCauley and professional editor Jim Thompson. Hey, everybody, this is Terrence McCauley, the author of the University series and also of the Aaron Mackey Western series. One book I'd like to recommend is Eric Beatner's latest thriller, All the Way Down. It's a fantastic read. It's going to keep you up late, so make sure you don't have to get up early the next morning. Hi, um, I'm Jim Thompson. I'm a, uh, I make my living as an editor, and I also write short stories. So I'm talking about books that have something in common, new releases that have problematic third acts. Uh, the one I want to talk about right now is uh, Last Woman Standing by Amy Gentry. came out uh, in January. And... Uh, this had one of the best, most gangbuster openings I've read in a thriller in a long time. Um, it's a wonderful setup. It's set in Austin, Texas, and it's among the world of stand-up comedians. And the point of view character is a Hispanic woman on the comedy circuit. So you can Im already imagine the potential for uh, telling a story about how the, the sexes interrelate. And uh, so this is very much a, a gender issue kind of novel, and uh, the insight is really rich in that regard. The only problem I had with it was about 80% of the way in, the primary bad person um, who has proven to be invincible and nine steps ahead of everybody all of a sudden turns out to be not so bright and makes dumb mistakes and walks into traps. And I just found myself thinking, what? Again, an, an issue I'm going to bring up a lot is characters throughout a book need to behave according to the logic that their author, their creator has established for them. And I felt like the, the last several dozen pages of this book failed to follow that logic and it fell kind of flat for me. But uh, this is a book where I would say, enjoy the first 80% of it because it's that good and hold your nose for the rest. Uh, thank you, Terrence and Jim. And now let's get back to our conversation with Colin Campbell. Uh, did you, you've been to the U.S. obviously, we were both at the VoucherCon last year. I'm, I'm yes. disappointed we didn't run into each other. Yeah, well, I mean, we would have had three bold guys talking then, wouldn't we? <laughs> me, you and Eric. Uh, uh, so, but have you been elsewhere in the U.S.? Uh, well, through VoucherCon. Uh, the, the first VoucherCon I went to was in Chicago way back. I think it must have been like 2000 or something. And I've been to the U.S. for the books at VoucherCon, but also I, I play tennis for the, for the police, even though I'm retired. And there's an event called the World Police Fire Games, which uh, sure, yeah, played, played around around the world, but predominantly in the U.S. So I've, I've 
been to quite a few places now. Uh, uh, Indianapolis, uh, quite a few in Canada, Los Angeles. Where was the last? Oh, New York. We had the New York on the centenary of the 9-11. So that was all cool. And the more places I go to, the more ideas I get to use them in books. Uh, the book that is, is going to be the new book coming out next year was set in South Carolina. I'm not sure if it's South Carolina or North Carolina. but uh, and, and that purely came about from an incident from me being delayed on a flight and then moved across to North Carolina where I ended up missing another flight and had to stay overnight. And... Uh, I pretty much stayed in a CD motel on the edge of town because the entire city was booked up with a, a knitting convention, would you believe? <laughs> An old ladies' knitting convention took up all the hotels in uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, it was Charlotte, so North Carolina. Uh-huh. So I just thought of that as an idea as the beginning of a book. I thought, well, if Jim Grant did this, then what would happen after that? So the places I go to now do inform where I will write books as opposed to Jamaica Plain, which I did get pilloried for being an Englishman who's never visited Jamaica Plain uh, in the Boston Boston Globe. I think I had a full-page editorial about this Englishman who had, had the temerity to come over and write a book about America. Wow. They say no no publicity is bad publicity. So oh, it's good. It was said <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, so I was, I was quite pleased. They gave me a few suggestions. Uh, as to how I could have the the timeline and the stories fitting in with the things that were famous for Jamaica Plain. Uh, and the main thing I got told off about was I this, I didn't realise it's quite a, an, a quite a posh area towards Jamaica Pond, and the the main gangster in the book I had put a strip club uh, on the Jamaica Pond, and and it was <laughs> it was considered to be a step too far. It'd be like having a strip club uh, around the corner from Buckingham Palace, maybe in their eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although I'm sure there is some down there. <laughs> I haven't read your books yet. Do you take advantage of the cultural differences between the U.S. and and uh, and England, or more so in the first few books? Because I still can't get over the size of the food portions that you have over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I ordered a salad once in, uh, I think it was in San Francisco, and it was just a lunchtime salad box, and it was like two foot square. You could have fed a, you could you could have braised a herd of cattle on on the stuff that was in this salad just for lunch. So little things like that often creep uh, in. The distances between everything in America is just huge. Sure. Uh, you know, I mean, you go around to the next city in America, and it's like going from top to tail in the UK. Yeah. So there will be those things. Uh, yes, you, you've pretty much got to go with the the cultural differences and, and the the way things are called differently. I know windshield and yeah. uh, windscreen yeah. wipe, all that yeah. kind of stuff. I've heard tell that uh, America and the UK are two countries separated by a common language. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Plus, plus you, all your cops carry guns. I mean, I had, like yeah. I said, I had a whistle and a cape when I joined, and, and I had a wooden baton, well, which, you know, which pretty much looked like a, a large wooden dildo. <laughs> I was about to say you could fuck some people up with a wooden baton, but I don't know if I want to go <laughs> want to see it. <laughs> the only time I actually used it was, was to break into uh, an old lady's house who she'd been missing for a, a few hours and 
you could see through the window that she was on the floor in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only way to get in was to break the window of the door. Mm-hmm. And, and it must have been the thickest fucking glass I've ever seen. You know, I mean, <laughs> she had a fantastic house. It like had cut glass engravings in. It was like something out of Harry Potter. And and I had to smash this with this wooden dildo thing, and it was just really hard work. That's the only time I ever used it in anger. <laughs> yeah, it was very angry by the time I finished, yeah. And okay. she survived. I mean, that was a good thing. So it was cool. Sa- saved by a wooden dildo. That's a story she can tell all her friends. <laughs> I'm not so sure she knows what a dildo is, but yeah. <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got a, a busy year uh, coming with all these uh, reissues of the Jim Grant thrillers and then a brand new one uh, next year. You know, Colin, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I wish you great luck with these uh, with this series. Thank you very much. I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Well, there you are, folks. A pretty good conversation with Colin Campbell. Cool guy. I hope to, to meet him at uh, one of the conferences. And it's uh, it's interesting to me how... The, there are differences between England and the United States when it comes to uh, culture, uh, even though there are also some similarities. Uh, so it's kind, of, it's kind of interesting to see those pointed out. Next episode, we will have an open and shut conversation with Travis Richardson, uh, who is a really cool guy that I got to meet at Left Coast Crime. He writes short stories and, uh, and then some. And we will have the rare 2019 uh, Zafiro update. I'll give you a handle on what I got going on this year. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.